201. He is able to deliver thee. Alright, all three stands. Tis the grandest name in the strong. Pages forward, 216. Look to the Lamb of God, 216. I'm going to cheat a little bit over here. <laughs> if you're concerned,
Yes, King. 
Bible says, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Christians. What does the word Christian mean? Well, many people have different ideas or definitions of what a Christian is or what a Christian means. I've actually heard people say, or claim, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born-agains. <laughs> well, in the Bible, a Christian was somebody who was born-again. Right. A lot of people, they think, well, a Christian is somebody who believes in the existence of God and believes in a, a general morality and just tries to be a nice person or a good person, whatever their idea of a good person is. A lot of people have different ideas of what a Christian is. Maybe when you first got saved, you thought that being a Christian or becoming a Christian was simply something where you did something that would cause you to have your sins forgiven and that you were now on your way to heaven. And that was the extent of being a Christian. That was Christianity. And it kind of stops there. It's like something that you finally did. And now, okay, I got that taken care of. Uh, that's over with. And so now I'm on my way to heaven and everything's fine now and that was the extent of being a Christian however in the Bible Christians of course we know biblical Christianity is much more than that and in the Bible a Christian is likened to many things in the Bible there are different titles for a Christian there are different ways that the Bible describes a Christian there are different attributes and characteristics and so today, I'm going to give you five things that a Christian is likened to. Now, of course, there are many more than just five, but for time's sake, I'm going to give you five things that a Christian is likened to. 
And I want you, as I, as I go through this, I want you to examine yourself and ask yourself and do a little bit of a self-examination uh, and ask yourself, am I like, the, am I likened to this? Do these, these characteristics that are these, these uh, attributes and these things that, that I'm going through this morning, can I apply this in my life? Do I see any of these in my life as a Christian? Because if not, then you should strive to because the Bible likens a Christian to these things. And if you are a Christian, then you should in some ways fit some of these profiles that the Bible is going to give us. And so the first one I'm going to look at is if you would turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Timothy, uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says in 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 2, um, actually, I, meant, I need, uh, I think I meant to say 2 Timothy. Yeah, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good what? Soldier, soldier. So one of the things that the Bible likens a Christian to in the, in the Bible is a soldier, a soldier. Now, how is a Christian likened or how is a Christian similar to a soldier? Well, in the verse he told Timothy, he said, endure hardness, endure hardness. The Christian life involves enduring hardness. You think of a soldier. You think of the, the, the hardness that a soldier has to endure. You think of people in the military. You think of when they first enlist in the military, and then what happens? They go to what they call basic training, boot camp. And what what they want to do is they want to harden, they want to toughen up that guy that, or that gal to be able to endure hardness, to prepare them if they have to go to war, they have to endure hardness. You think of the things that, that they have to go and endure and things like that. I've, I've talked to people who've been in the military and I ask them, so how is boot camp? What, what is it like? You hear these horror stories. Is it really that bad? And um, I, I, the Marines, they, they say that you know, they make fun of the, the guys in the army and the other, you know, they have these jokes and things where they make fun of these different branches of the military. Well, we're, we're tougher than they are and all of that. So. But they do have to go through some difficult times during that process. I've, I've heard stories and, and people have been interviewed and things and how, you know, maybe I guess the standards were higher in the past than they are now. But any any rate, you hear about how they have to go and hike and march and do all these things in the hot sun and carrying this these heavy loads and all this equipment. You hear stories of people... Uh, passing out and suffering heat exhaustion and heat strokes. You hear about the, the sleep deprivation and all those things that they go through and how they have to wake up at four in the morning and be out all night and all day and all of that. They Out on the North Shore, sometimes you can hear them. They're training. They're, there are certain places in, the, in the, the mountains and the valleys and things where you can hear the... the um, do they use live ammo? Yeah, there's a live range out there. There's a live, okay, yeah. So you can hear that stuff. It almost sounds like a war going on, but that's the military training. And um, they have to endure hardness. A soldier 
the Bible says you're supposed to be like a soldier. There are songs about that. There's hymns about being a soldier of the Lord and, and being in the Lord's army and all of those things. And that comes from the Bible. Now, I've, I've heard interviews from people who were actually in wars, Vietnam and World War II, and some of those stories they have, I mean, they are just horrific. It's like, it's like living in a nightmare. They say in Vietnam that the heat and the humidity was so bad that you're just sweating constantly. And then they said that there was the, the monsoon season, the rainy season, where it would just, for days and days and days, just pour down rain all day long, just torrential downpours. They said that they... They said that the, your uniform just being wet all the time was almost as bad as the heat and the humidity during the other season. They said they got so tired of their clothes being wet and your boots and your socks and everything is just wet, wet, wet from all that rain. And they said, even if it, you didn't get caught in the rain, just the humidity and the moisture and everything and nothing ever being able to dry because of the, the climate there, it was just always damp and wet. And they just hated it. And I can imagine, after a while, that would get to you. They say in the Middle East, some of those guys having to go to um, Afghanistan and Iraq and those places, it was hot, hot, hot. And I've seen pictures of guys where they're, they're so tired, they're trying to find a place just to get out of the heat that there's guys sleeping under one of those big Humvee trucks trying to get out of the sun, find some shade. They're lying down in their full full um, camouflage uniform, lying down in the dirt under the truck to take a nap, just exhausted, exhaust, exhausted from, from not having enough sleep. And then that's the only place they can find shelter to get out of the sun is go under the truck to take a nap. That's enduring hardness. That's enduring hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, the Bible says. Now, uh, in the ministry, of course, there are going to be some tough things. And that's why Paul, Paul is instructing Timothy. Timothy's a, a young minister, young preacher. And he's telling, giving him all this advice about the ministry. And he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, even if you're not in the ministry, in the full-time ministry, you need to be like a soldier in the sense of being able to endure hardness and some other things about that. The Christian life is going to have some hardness that you're going to have to endure. The Christian life is, if you think of the, the life of the Apostle Paul, well, we know he was in the ministry and all of that, and we know he was maybe a, a, a special case in the Bible, but any Christian is going to have something that he's going to have to endure, just like a soldier. The Bible says, Thou therefore uh, endure hardness. To endure hardness. He says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Suffer persecution. Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let, let him, if any man want to follow me, let him come after me and let him take up his cross, deny himself daily, and take up his cross and follow me. Follow me. Take up his cross. It's not always easy being a Christian. Not always easy. What else could we say about a soldier that would be applied to a Christian? Well, the Bible talks about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the, the 
powers of this world, against the rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, God has given you certain things in order to equip you when it comes to spiritual warfare. He's giving you certain types of armor, certain weaponry. It goes on in Ephesians chapter 6, and it talks about the whole armor of God. And the whole armor of God consists of several different pieces of armor, like the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. And he says, the, have your loins girt about with truth and that your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then he has all of these different pieces of armor that are defensive, but there's one piece that you can use both offensive and defensive, and that is the sword, the sword of the spirit. He says, which is the word of God. The word of God, a sword. You have the word of God at your disposal as your main weapon in order to utilize for combat during spiritual warfare. Remember when the devil came to and tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness? How did Jesus respond? Did Jesus start arguing and getting into these big, deep philosophical debates and discussions? No. All he did was quote scripture. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He was using the sword, the sword of the spirit, a good soldier of Jesus Christ, enduring hardness, during warfare, spiritual battle. How many of you ever been on a plane and you hit some severe turbulence? You kind of get a little nervous <laughs> or maybe not a little. Some people, I mean, real nervous. Some people go into full, full mode panic. Imagine being a plane where you're not just experiencing turbulence, but you're being shot at. World War II. I can't imagine those guys in World War II fighting the Japanese. Those small planes where you, not only do you feel turbulence, you're actually being shot at. Boy, that, that's nerve-wracking, isn't it? But the Bible says endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So there's going to be some tough times in the Christian life. A lot of people, they, you know, people, they want a soft, smooth, easy, convenient, comfortable Christianity. That's what a lot of Christians want. That's what the flesh wants. Now, I mean, I don't, I don't like difficult times. I don't like things to be hard and uncomfortable and all of that. But according to the Bible... The Christian life is, in some senses, some cases, like the life of a soldier where you have to endure hardness. But the good news is God has given you the equipment to do so. All right, number two, not only a soldier, let's look at another thing that a Christian is likened to. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9. Let's look at verse 24, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, 
but we in incorruptible. So I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So the second thing that a Christian is likened to is an athlete. An athlete. How is a Christian likened to an athlete? Well, we just saw some, uh, some things there where Paul was talking about the Christian life. He's, it's like running a race. It's like fighting. It's like a boxing match. It's like um, receiving a, a prize, a crown, and, and running and, and doing all these things. And he says that he, because of that, he keeps his body under subjection. An athlete. You know, if you think of an athlete, what are some of the things that an athlete has to do if he wants to be successful, if he wants to be victorious? Well, number one, he has to train. He has to train. Professional athletes, most of them, they have a coach. And that coach will dictate certain types of regimens and certain types of routines and, and programs and things depending on the sport. And they have to train constantly, especially if there is a, a match coming up or, or a, an event, a, a race, a competition, a contest, a tournament, something like that. And they have to be disciplined. They don't just train whenever they feel like it. They have a strict routine where they get up in the morning, they go out, they do a run or whatever, they have, they have the cardio, they have strength training, they have, if it's a swimmer, of course they have to go swim. If it's a somebody running a race, they have to, they have to run. If it's a boxer or or MMA or something, they go to the gym and they train and they train and they train and they train. They have to force themselves to do what they don't feel like doing. And if they slack off, if they get lazy, and if they stop training, guess what? The competitor, their, their competitor is gonna outdo them because they're not competing against themselves. They're competing against other people who are training just as hard or sometimes harder than they are. So they can't take shortcuts. As a Christian, you're sometimes you're going to have to force yourself to do what you don't want to do. Why? Because you're supposed to be just like an athlete. Running a race, running the Christian race. A professional athlete, when they're getting ready, when they're training, during their training you think they eat whatever they want? You think they have a fast food diet? You think they're eating McDonald's and and Ben and Jerry's and and Coca-Cola and candy and all all this junk food? No, no, no. They have a strict diet. They can't eat just whatever they want. They have to eat the right kind of food. If you you can you can exercise and do all these things, and if you have a poor diet it's going to have a negative consequence on your performance. As a Christian, you're not supposed to just live on junk food, like TV and secular music and all this other worldly entertainment that's out there. That's You know, it tastes good, doesn't it? McDonald's and Pizza Hut and that stuff, it tastes good, doesn't it? But what does it do to you? 
you know, once you be, introduce yourself to, to healthy foods, nutrition, and, and you get this mindset of, I'm, I don't, I'm tired of putting all this junk in my body and I want to be healthy and I want to eat good food, you start to acquire a taste for good food. And the junk food, it doesn't taste as good as it used to. You know, years ago, I quit drinking sodas. I mean, years and years ago. And then every once in a while, you know, at work, we have um, this soda machine where, where we just get our own sodas for, for the customers, you know, where we don't have to wait on somebody else to do it. So it's right there. We just make our own sodas if somebody orders a Coke or something. And once in a while, if, if um, I eat something spicy or something, I just kind of, you know, how something sweet kind of balances out that spiciness. And so once in a while, if I eat something and it's kind of spicy, oh man, it, I need something sweet to just balance out this spiciness, man. My, my tongue's burning. Oh, I know, I'll just try just a little bit of this sweet soda. And I'll drink a little bit of that. Oh man, that is so sweet. I can't believe I used to drink a whole 12 ounce can of that stuff. It just tastes like syrup. How do people drink that stuff? Now, you know why it tastes like that? Because I quit drinking it for so long. And then when you go back to it, oh, it's, it's just too sweet. It doesn't have the appeal like it did before. It's kind of the same thing with fast food and junk food and candy and even chocolate. I mean, I love chocolate just as much as the pastor. <laughs> I love chocolate. And I used to go and buy one of those, not just the, the regular size Hershey's bar, but the big one. You know, like the $2 one. And eat the whole thing in one sitting. And even now, sometimes, as much as I love chocolate, sometimes that regular Hershey's milk chocolate, if I eat that it's too sweet now because I, I stopped eating it for so long. And I need the, the dark chocolate that's a little bit more bitter and not as sweet. And once you acquire a taste for good, nutritious, wholesome food, the other stuff, it's not as appealing as it, as it is or it was. And you need to acquire a taste for the Word of God. The Word of God. The Bible says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. As an athlete, spiritually speaking, you have to have the proper diet, the proper nutri nutrition. The Bible says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And just like an athlete, if you don't have the proper diet, the proper nutrition, it's you're going to underperform during your competitions. If you don't have the proper diet as a Christian, it's going to affect your spiritual life. When it comes to trying to overcome temptation and, and get victory over certain things and have the right mindset and the right thinking and 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 instead of uh, having the, instead of preventing the world and all this negative stuff and all this garbage out there trying to affect your mind, if you're not in the Word of God, if you don't have a proper diet of, of reading the Word of God and your study time and your devotions and coming and hearing the Word of God preached. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
if you're not saturating yourself in your Christian life with the proper diet, the proper spiritual nutrition, it is going to affect your Christian life. You need to be like an athlete, an athlete. The Bible says in Hebrews, it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Your Christian life is like running a race. Now, you ever heard them people say, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. What do they mean when they say that? They mean, and they apply that to all kinds of things, they mean that you don't just power out through and, and, and get it all done and, and go as fast as and hard as you can real quickly and then it's over. They say, no, 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 no. You got to be, you can't be short-sighted. You have to think of the long haul. The Christian life as an athlete, you're supposed to be running this race your entire life. Not just the first six months or the first year after you got saved. Your entire life is supposed to be a, a race. Your entire life. Sometimes you have to pace yourself. I'm not saying to get lazy, but you have to be, can't be short-sighted. And the Bible says, let us lay aside every weight, every weight, spiritually speaking, lay aside the things that would hinder you in your race. Get rid of it because it's going to slow you down. You know, Olympic runners and swimmers and people like that, when they compete, the clothing that they wear, it doesn't have pockets. Why is that? Because if they had anything in their pockets, it would slow them down. In fact, did you know that Olympic swimmers are so concerned with the slightest thing that could slow them down, they don't wear jewelry? In fact, men, Olympic swimmers, men, biological men, not Leah Thomas or whatever his name is. Real biological men will shave their body hair, shave their arms, shave their legs, shave their body hair because every fraction of a second counts. And they are so concerned with the slightest thing that would cause any drag while they're swimming that they will go to those measures because they are so focused and so preoccupied with winning. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You ever seen somebody in the Olympics, they're running those hurdles and once in a while you'll see somebody, their, their foot will catch one of those hurdles and they'll trip and fall. You know what they do? They get right back up. And keep running and continue. They don't stay down. They don't walk off the track and say, oh, oh, oh there's no way I'm going to get that gold medal now. I might as well not even finish. I'm done. No. Get right back up. A lot of races are like that. Motocross, people riding those dirt bikes, motorcycles, they fall, get right back up and continue going. Even if they know they're not going to get first place because not everybody had that fall like they did, 
They don't quit. They get back up and they continue. Sometimes Christians fall in the Christian life. And sometimes Christians fall and they get so discouraged and they have this pity party and they think, oh, what's the point? I've tried over and over and over and I keep falling. What's the point? I can't do this. I might as well not even try to live the Christian life because I just feel like a, like a, a hypocrite. So I'm just going to stay in the world and, and forget this because I've tried too many times and I can't do it. You know what the Bible says about something like that? The Bible says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. At the end of Paul's uh, epistle to Timothy, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul finished. Paul finished. He said, well, you know, uh, I, I, I'm content with just kind of being on the sideline. No, Paul said, finish your course. Finish your course. Well, you know, I used to do this and that when I was younger, but, you know, now that I'm older and I just, you know, I still, I still have my faith. I still believe in God, but, you know, it's, I don't have the energy for that. Did you know just last year here in Hawaii at the marathon, there was a woman who broke a world record. She lives on Kauai for finishing the marathon oldest person to finish guess how old she was 92 92 year old woman finished the marathon Honolulu Marathon amazing isn't it you know some Christians when they get older they slow down in their Christian, well, I understand physically, of course, you're going to have to slow down. But your Christian race, your Christian life, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. You need to be like an athlete. And Paul said, I keep my body under subjection, just like an athlete. Number three, there's another thing that a Christian is likened to. Not just a soldier, not just an athlete, but go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Husbandman. What is a husbandman? Another word for a husbandman, in our modern usage, we would use this term, a farmer. A cultivator of the ground. Someone who grows things. A Christian is supposed to be like a farmer. How so? Well, what does a farmer do that a, that a Christian should do? Well, a farmer labors, right? It takes work. How many of you ever tried to grow something from the ground? How many of you ever had a, a vegetable garden or grow any types of plants? It's not always easy, isn't it? Depending on what, what the plant is, it's easy to grow weeds. <laughs> they, it, I mean, they just grow by themselves. But if you want something that's going to produce fruit or food or something, sometimes, man, it takes work. It can be discouraging. 
I remember when I had a vegetable garden in my in my backyard at this one place that I was renting, and God, that thing took so much work, I finally just gave up. Now, we got some good vegetables and things out of it for a while, but it just, it became more work than it was worth, and probably be, a lot of it was probably because I didn't um, do my homework like you should have before I, I did it, and a lot of it was trial and error. But it involves tilling the ground. You can't just go out in a field of grass and weeds and just throw seeds down and expect a good crop. No. You have to till the ground. You have to get rid of that stuff. You have to turn up, turn up the ground and, and uh, stir up all of that dirt and everything. Then you have to plant the seeds. You have to sow the seeds. You have to water it and then the harvest and all of that stuff. It takes a lot of hard work where you are sweating, you're, there's thorns, there's bugs, there's snails and slugs and all kinds of things that you have to contend with. And in the Bible, Jesus gave a parable of the sower and the seed. And he said that the seed, some seed fell on good ground and some seed fell on stony ground and some seed fell by the wayside and some seed fell by the rocks. And he says some... Some of the seeds, the birds of the air came and ate the seed. And some of the seeds, they they sprouted and they grew just for a little while. And then it withered. And there was different types of ground. And he gave the definition and the interpretation of that parable. About the different types of ground, about the birds, about the sower, about the seed. All of those things represented something spiritually. And what did the seed Represent in that parable. He said the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. As a Christian, you should be sowing seed. The word of God. Spreading the gospel. Spreading the gospel. The different types of ground was the condition of people's heart that the seed fell upon and the condition of the ground determined the result of that seed. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to look at verses 6 through 9. It says, I have planted Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive of his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Now God uses different people in different ways when it comes to soul soul winning or people getting saved and spreading the gospel and witnessing and all of those things. And he says that some people water and some people sow the seed and some people they reap the harvest and all those things, but all of them, they play a part in that. When somebody gets saved, any there's different people who had a part in that person's salvation. It's not just the person that uh, that witnessed to that person or led them to the Lord and then, and then he's the only one who had a part in that person's salvation. It takes more than that. Just like it takes more than just somebody going out and harvesting that field. Some people till the ground. Some people sow the seed. Some people water the seed. Some people harvest. 
Many times when somebody gets saved, there were other people either praying or had witnessed to them in the past or, or, or when somebody does get saved, somebody has to follow up with that person and disciple them and all of those things. And so all those people, they play a part in that. And it's just like farming. It's just like trying to grow something. Another thing about farmers that, and, and that I learned is it requires patience. I want you to turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. It says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Sometimes you want somebody to get saved right away. It requires patience. Sometimes you want something... God to do something right away requires patience. Sometimes you want a Christian to grow faster than you see them growing, and they don't. It can get a bit discouraging, but it takes patience. Sometimes you want yourself to grow faster. It takes patience. You know, I, I don't have a vegetable garden anymore, but I do have a lot of different plants on, on our property. I like to grow papayas. We have tangerines. We have avocado tree. And just other ornamental plants that I'm always planting and growing and landscaping. And I check these different plants and things just about every day. Sometimes I'm very impatient. Because I want them to grow faster than they're growing. I want those papaya plants to grow faster. I want those papaya plants to bear fruit faster than they are. And I go out... And look at that thing. Okay, it has these little flowers on it. Okay, so I know it's it's a keeper. It's not a male. It's it's going to produce fruit. I go out there and check it every day. Man, this thing is still still no papayas on it. Go out there the next day. Oh, there's a little papaya. Okay, every day. Oh, man, it's taking so long. What's taking so long? This this is papayas. They're still still not ripe. Man, is this is this normal? Does it take this long? Oh, look, I have there's dragon fruit and and these other plants. No, my, my neighbors. Oh, I was so upset. We have new neighbors. They bought a house. And there was all these big, on their property line, there was all these big trees. And, and it created like a privacy wall. And, and it was there for a long time until they move in. And then they just go and cut it all down. I couldn't believe it. And the, the, their house, I mean, they, they have to, it's like a fixer-upper. So they're doing all the construction and it's they have all stuff piled and clutter and stuff that because they're haven't completely moved everything in and now I have to see all that stuff where it was used used to be just all green, beautiful trees and stuff. Oh, I was so upset. And the guy was cutting it down. I mean they're nice people and all, but they were cutting it down and I was out there in the backyard. I said, I said, What? You didn't like that tree? You didn't like that the croton tree? And she said, if it doesn't feed us, we don't like it. We have no, no use for it. Just because it wasn't a fruit tree. And I thought, well, what about the fact that it looks nice and it creates privacy? Because <laughs> now it's just a short chain link fence. Mm. If it doesn't feed us, we don't, we don't like it. And I thought, man, what a mindset. 
And I said, oh, so you're going to replace it with fruit trees? Oh, no, I don't know. Uh, oh. So then I had to go and to my other neighbor that had these really, really tall heliconias. They almost look like small banana trees. They grow really tall and fast. And I, I said, can I, can I buy some more of those from you, the, the roots, the rhizome? Because I need to... I need to fill in that it looks terrible. I, I like my privacy. And I like plants. I don't want to look at just like, you know, I don't want to see neighbors and cars. I want to see plants. And uh, so now Hannah and I, we go out there every day, you know, I have a little bird feeder, feed the birds and my papayas, as soon as the, the papayas start ripening, as soon as I see the first sign of yellow, I pick those things because if not, the birds have learned that they're there and the birds will go and they'll start eating those seeds and, and it's gone. Used to be where they had to get fully ripe and orange before the birds would get them. Now the birds learned to get them early. So now I have to beat the birds to the papayas and get them earlier than the birds. So every day, always out there, Checking the plants. And Hannah and I go, are those things growing yet? No, not yet. <laughs> We're still waiting, 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 waiting for those things to grow. Patience, patience, patience. The Christian life requires patience. A farmer has to learn to be patient for things to grow. All right, let's finish up. Something else that a Christian is likened to. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Notice just about all of these are found in Timothy. Paul's telling Timothy about these things. A lot of this is about the ministry, I understand, because these are called the pastoral epistles, part of uh, Timothy but this can be applied to any Christian. You don't have to be in the full-time ministry to apply these things to yourself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. So a Christian is also likened to a vessel, vessel, a container, if you will, like a jar or something like that. And notice in the Bible, he says in a house, you have different types of vessels, different materials for different uses. He says some to honor, some to dishonor. In your house, you have different containers that are all not all, they're not made of the same material because they're not all made for the same purpose. If you have something like a trash can, a garbage can, that thing is not going to be made out of gold or expensive coal wood, is it? No, it's going to be made out of some cheap plastic or aluminum. Why? Because of what you are putting into it. What you are putting into it is not important and valuable. Therefore, it doesn't make sense 
to spend a lot of money and to make that thing out of something that's going to look very attractive and expensive and valuable. However, if you have something that you are going to use for something that is very precious and expensive and valuable, like a jewelry box, a jewelry box, if you have really nice expensive jewelry or something that was passed down from your great-grandmother or something and very sentimental and all those things, that jewelry box is not going to be like a cardboard shoe box, is it? Or something out of cheap plastic that you buy at Walmart. No. You know, in Hawaii, they have those very nice curly koa jewelry boxes. You ever seen one of those? You go to the, some of these shops at the mall. Wow, look at all this stuff. All these wood carvings and all. Oh, man, look at this beautiful curly coal. I love coal wood. I love coal wood. And you look at this. I mean, and there's, you know, there's different grades of coal. And when you, when you find the, the type of coal that it's like has all those stripes on it, that's called curly coal. And you look at some of those wooden boxes and things and you look at it in the right light and you see it's almost like like three-dimensional like you can look into it it's almost like this orange glass and and it's like moving this real wavy stuff that coal wood and then you look at oh man and then you turn it over and you look at the price tag oh my gosh put that down there's no way i can afford that i shouldn't even be looking at that 500 bucks for that thing that little box why? Why would they have something like that that costs that much money? Because of what, if you bought something like that, what would you keep in it? Would it be like your little junk drawer with thumbtacks and rubber bands and paper clips and coupons? Like a junk drawer? No, of course not. What would you put in something like that? You would put something that's very valuable, something that's special. They have these urns that people put the ashes of a, a cremated loved one in. Something that's very sentimental to them and precious. And what would an urn like that be made out of? It's not going to be made out of some cheap plastic, I'll tell you that. Different vessels. A vessel unto honor, vessel unto dishonor. A Christian is likened to a vessel. And God wants you to be a vessel unto honor, not a vessel unto dishonor. He wants you as a vessel to be very valuable and precious and clean. Why? So he can use you. Not as a trash can. Not like a little shoebox. But something very valuable. And in order for that, he needs you to be sanctified. He needs you to be clean. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And it's not of the Father, but is of the world. God wants you to be a vessel unto honor. And he says, sanctify. Let's read that again. 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, look at verse 19. We read verse 20 and 21. We did not read verse 19. Let's look at verse 19, the context. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ 
The root word of Christian is Christ. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That involves separation, sanctification. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver. Okay, so back at this time, gold and silver were probably a little more common than they are now when it comes to not just jewelry, but other things. But imagine you have a vessel, a box or a container or a pot or something made out of gold or silver. That's a vessel unto honor. But also of wood, something just common, cheap material, and of earth, like pottery and uh, clay, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, the vessels of dishonor, separate, purge from those, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified. That means separated, set apart, sanctified, and meet. Meet, that means fitting for the master's use. Who's the master? Christ. And prepared unto every good work. And God wants to use you. God wants to use you for his work. He wants you to, to be used as a vessel, but he cannot use you if you're not sanctified, if you're not meet, if you're not fit, if you're not prepared the right way. The Bible says, come out of the world and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. The Bible says, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And last of all, go to, again, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at the last thing a Christian is likened to. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, etc. So a Christian is a servant, or should be a servant. A servant. Think of a servant. Think of a servant. I can think about some things about a servant. A servant obeys his master, does he not? A good servant. A servant obeys his master. A servant is loyal to his master. A servant is humble. You ever heard of the phrase humble servant? Christian is likened to a servant. Servant. A servant serves. You serve the master. You serve God by living for him, by obeying him, by doing what he wants you to do. Many things can be said about a servant and being in service for the Lord. Now, these are some things that a Christian should be likened to in the Bible. There's many more. And I would challenge you and try to encourage you to think about in your life, are you enduring hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ or do you always just look for the easy way out? when it may not be the right way. Might be convenient, might be easy, may not be what God wants. Endure hardness as a good soldier. An athlete, your life, you're running a race, you're running a marathon, and there are certain things that you need to do in order to be victorious in your race. A farmer, a husbandman, are you sowing seed? Are you trying to spread the gospel? When you can, when you have the opportunity, are you at least praying for people? Do you at least have that desire to see people saved and see people grow? And then a vessel, sanctified. Are you trying to keep yourself clean and separated from the world 
in order for God to use you? And then a servant. Are you trying to be like a servant when you serve God and, and, and be obedient to the master and be humble? And I want, want, you, want you to also look what it continues to say about that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, let's look at some characteristics there. He says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So there are many different descriptions and characteristics and, and qualities of the servant of the Lord in that passage that Paul was instructing Timothy to do in his service for the Lord as a servant. Well, I hope this message will encourage you, challenge you, maybe even convict you if need be, and uh, help you understand give you a more well-rounded understanding of, of the Christian life. It's not just, okay, I'm going to heaven when I die. Okay, now I can just put it on cruise control. Just uh, live, live my life and just take it easy and sit back and enjoy the ride. Well, a little bit more than that when it comes to the Christian life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you once again for these things in the Word of God. I pray that we would be mindful of these things, that we remember how the as Christians that we have an obligation and a duty to, to serve you and, and have responsibilities. But with those things come also blessings that we can get and the joy of serving you and and there's rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not just all drudgery and, and not just all um, labor and, and blood, sweat, and tears, but there is a, a peace and a joy and, a, and a excitement that comes with serving you and being in your will. And I, I pray that we would have the a right balanced view of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.